Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. So first with us today, we got J-Bone. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And also with us today, we got Cancer. Hello, world. We also got Lorraine McLean. Well, hello. The Queen Pen. Right, welcome. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Jay, uh, you want to go ahead and kick us off? Yeah, because it's not very eventful, but it's great. Shout out to the Irish Guinness <laughs> Draft Stout. It's been on the show many a times, and I don't have to go on a preamble, but... Well, just once again, it's great. Well, Old Faithful. I feel like it is fitting, though, because it looks like I see a bunch of dark beers. Not a whole lot of dark beers without Guinness. The originator. Cancer, what do you got? It's uh, it's called Chaco Tuesday. It's an imperial stout from a brewery called Lo- uh, Lone Pine. Yeah, from Portland, Maine. Like a Chaco yeah. Taco? I it's was just going to say, shit. Lorraine, that the, uh, ca- the artwork is beautiful. It's like yeah. in a off-white with a uh, Chaco Taco at the bottom. Yeah, man. This, uh, this shit right here, I... You know, I tend to buy things repeatedly, just not as often because I'm always trying new stuff. But this one, I've I've gone back like three or four times for it. Uh, Lorraine? I'm drinking Blue Moon Light Sky. So it's like Blue Moon Light, only 95 calories. Yeah, I always got to worry about the calories. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't worry about the sugar. (laughs) Just worry about the calories. Kind of following the stout rolls that you guys had. The exact opposite of her beer. I got a KBS, Founders KBS, Maple Mackinac Fudge. I want to melt your beer and pour it over the top of (laughs) Cancer's beer because he has a Choco Taco and you have the Maple Fudge. It's a good mix, I'm sure. Man. It's an Imperial Stout with Mackinac Fudge coffee. So before we get started, i got to make sure we take the time to thank Six Fo Sueno for letting us use his music in the intro. You can follow him on Instagram at 6-fo-f-o-e. Not that cancer for letting us use his song in the mid-roll. Oh, stop. Hey, thanks, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. cancer. You, you can follow. the least I can do, <laughs> literally. He wanted to use my song, but I said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> every, every time you come over, I ask you for something new for the show. Like, hey, do a logo. Hey, give me a song. Hey, hey paint this fucking uh, beer can. More than happy to. <laughs> so, yeah, you can follow him at Instagram at eyesbleeddefiance. And then you can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Bad Guy Podcast. And if you're having a hard time finding any of the links, you can go to our website, badguypodcast.com, and find everything through there. So we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Gaston Means. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Gaston Means? Sounds like a Disney character. (laughs) Gaston Bullock means no AKA today. What? How dare you have me come on here with no <laughs> nicknames? <laughs> well, I, I feel like I've been spoiling you lately, and that's not fair to all the other hosts. Like, you get true. all the fucking dope nicknames. Very true. <laughs> but I at least went craziest regular name I could find. Yeah, there you go. I mean, he's got it. If you're not going to have an AKA because your name is Gaston Bullock means. 
Yeah, if that was my name, I'd have t-shirts that say Gaston Bullock means business. I seen at one spot him referred to as Bud as a nickname, but it wasn't consistent consistent enough to go with. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty anticlimactic, aka Bud. That's just one of those nicknames you try to get some legs on it, but it just doesn't doesn't Everybody catch. Everybody in his town called him Dude. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the way they talk. Gaston Means was born July eleventh, eighteen seventy nine, in Concord, North Carolina. He was the oldest of seven children. He come from like a real old South money family. His mom was an heiress. His dad was a lawyer and a former mayor of Concord. One of his grandpas was an ex-Confederate general. So they were like old South money. Well, I mean, they were prior to the Civil War. After yeah. Afterwards, you know, times got Spread a little bit later. Yeah. But yeah, he, threw, he grew up in a three-story Victorian house. They were a big man, you know, big family in the neighborhood. Him and his brothers were described as having southern charm, but were also known to be meaner than hell. That's not charming. Yeah, isn't the southern charm just kind of like already there? It's a demeanor. It's a way they talk. Like, I do declare I'm going to come over there and slap the shit out of you, boy. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds charming, but man, that was really charming guy. As a child, he stole money from his mother. It sounds charming. (laughs) But who hasn't stole money from his mother? (laughs) So... His mom caught and blamed it on the housekeeper, who they fired. Yeah, I guarantee that was the first time that ever happened in the South. I'm glad that went away right back then. <laughs> like. Yeah. Gaston Means described watching his housekeeper get fired for the money he stole as his first happy memory. Aww, yeah. that's oh, that's gross. man. <laughs> so he's really likable. Uh. Good guy, Gaston. Good guy. His nickname later was Ty. This is the Ty Cobb story. (laughs) (laughs) Three bouts of syphilis later. His dad was a big shot lawyer in town. As a teenager, he was real big. So he's like six foot, 200 pounds. He had an obsession with detectives and private eyes and stuff like that. So he would hang out around the town, spying on judges and other lawyers, intimidating jurors to try and help his dad win cases. Jesus. (laughs) He ends up going to school at University of North Carolina, where he was extremely popular. He joined a frat, and he played on the football team. Oh, so he's big? And the Tar Heels were probably good in the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> so when I read that, I'm like, that can't be fucking accurate. So Basketball I had to, hadn't been invented yet. I had to Google it, and uh, yeah, that UNC did have a team in 1897. That, that team was actually like 10 years old at that point. Were they bully? Bully good? Well, uh, Whatever the fuck they used to say back then. <laughs> So Gaston wasn't any good. Like, he was good and he was big, but he was super lazy, so he never got to play. The only game he ever got to play in, they won 53 to nothing, and it was against the... Ah, shit. I forget what the name of the school was, but it was a school for the blind and dumb. No, for the for the deaf and dumb. So it was a school for the deaf and dumb, and he beat them 53 to nothing. Yeah, we, we smoked Helen Keller U- University this week. Like, they never seen... I was out there tipping over wheelchairs and shit. They had no answer for me. They could only hope to contain me, but no. Uh, they didn't have helmets back then either, huh? No, well, look, at that's a picture of the team at the time. They didn't even have so, any uh, kind of pads or so something. So these, these people at this time, they specialize in punching down. <laughs> <laughs> that's his thing. <laughs> that's what made me think to throw that stat out there, because I didn't write that down. I read it, but you said, are they bully? And I know that's not what you meant, but like, right. kind of very. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of very bully. <laughs> yep. In every way of the word. They all look like Nikola Tesla. So he's super popular, but he's super lazy. So he joins a frat, he plays some football, 
and he decides he wants to quit school and he just leaves after a couple years. His life's so crazy. Like, I can't read all of his stuff because we'll be here too long. So I'm going to kind of just read this kind of as one big bullet point. So I don't know. You could just picture it as like a montage or something. But this is kind of like the series of events he went through. He worked as a school superintendent in North Carolina, then wanted to work in the big city. So he got a job with his dad's friends as a traveling textile salesman in New York. But then he had to flee to the Chicago to avoid a promissory lawsuit from a showgirl he promised to marry after giving her STD. Okay. That'll ruin her reputation back then. Then he had a failed lawsuit against a train company for falling out of a cart when they found out he had took out a bunch of insurance policies prior to the trip and there was evidence of tampering with the cart. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so he's just like a shitty scam artist? Yeah, kind of. Bouncing from New York to Chicago. I can see why he was popular. Yeah. <laughs> but so he basically, that was just like a couple years of, you know. He, tri- wasn't, he wasn't popular. His money was. Probably. Yeah. Well, you buy insurance that day, get on the train and be like, oh, apparently this train has fallen <laughs> upon me. Like, yeah, but we seen you take the key out of it. Like, you. Oh, I'm suing you guys. Like. It's like those guys in the liquor store that just very softly lay down on the ground and go, ah, ah. <laughs> So he kind of does most of his traveling from Chicago and New York back and forth, rides the train nonstop, and he works in both big cities. He's just like addicted to the big city fast life. In 1913, he marries a lady named Julie Patterson. They would go on to have two kids. Their first kid was a daughter that they named Julie after the mom, but they called her sister. But at that point, she was an only child. So they had a daughter named Sister, (laughs) but no other kid. How does that make sense? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. Then they had a brother named, they had a son named (laughs) Billy. So they had a girl named Sister and a boy named Billy. They called him Cousin. (laughs) For no reason. This would be like the only humanitarian moment of that Gaston means to the whole thing is uh, at four years old, his daughter's sister passed away. And uh, he took that pretty hard. Not to delve into it, but does it say four years old? Does it say what the little kid passed away from? It doesn't. From being alive in the early, <laughs> well, yeah, in the late eighteen hundreds. Like I was gonna say <laughs> yeah. back then, like some polio, some shit that nowadays anything, would yeah. be well, like some yeah, antibiotics give you. We're in nineteen thirteen New York. That's almost like seventeen hundreds fucking London. London, I knew <laughs> you were gonna say. Yep. I mean, it really is. Like yeah. early nineteen hundreds New York was a fucking mess. Man. Yeah, for sure. So he marries Julie Patterson and. In 1914, he got bored with the travel and sales work and quit. Some people say he quit. It seems like he it was a mutual separation after he got caught lying, saying he was the owner's son to get money out of investors. So this was before lying was accepted in right. sales. Right. <laughs> he, he was a pioneer of <laughs> was that. Was this the pivotal moment <laughs> where people were like, you know, he might have been onto something with that lying shit. But yeah, so it seems like he uh, probably just got fired for being like a general scumbag, but since uh, the guy knew his dad, turned into a mutual separation. You take his ass back home or we're breaking his legs. Like, that's what it was. <laughs> Anyways, he decides whether he got bored or got fired whatever, he quits his job as a traveling salesman. And in 1914, he moved into New York full time to find a job as a detective. <laughs> oh, you know, they go hand in hand. I miss the good old days when you could just be whatever you wanted to be. And I like, couldn't say it during your uh, the bullet paragraph, but uh, 
right after he drops out of high school or uh, college, yeah. he's around 19, said he was a, like a school administrator. <laughs> like, superintendent. Oh, yeah. How do you, with no experience, even as the janitor, how did he go? That's some daddy money, you know what I mean? This is back in the day, there'd be a board in the town square, and everybody just grabs a job. He won that one football game. Brain surgeon. I'll do that. He won that one football game against the blind kids, and then uh, he told his dad, you know, I'm bored with school. I want to leave, but dad, can you make me the dean? Like, you got it, son. I'm going to be Jesus. I think that's what I would... Okay, okay, son. We have enough money. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. You can be whatever you want in New York in the early 1900s. Well... He finds a guy named Bill Burns, who is a retired Secret Service chief that started his own detective agency, and he meets Gaston, or Gaston. Now I'm calling him Gaston. He cut out the ad out of a comic book. So he meets Gaston, and he fucking loves the kid. And he's like, you know what? What's not to love? Well, I guess by now he probably... He knows how to beat blind kids. uh... (laughs) And he's telling this guy, this Billy Burr, and then after that, I got my second university... I got tired with that life there. So I came here to solve this Gotham City's crimes. And after my second bout with syphilis, I was uh, ready to... Fucking Wild Bill's like, I love this dude. He's fucking... This dude's awesome. He's got stories. So Gaston had a knack for the unscrupulous aspect of detective work. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) He would utilize bribery, forgery, breaking and entering, and wiretaps in his investigations. When detective work was fun. <laughs> well, he brought all the skills that got him kicked out of the other line of work he was in. Like, he brought the all, the you know, the corruption, the spying, the, the lying, beating up disabled people. <laughs> Don't call me Batman, but I'm a dark side sort of detective here. So, uh, he becomes one of the top detectives because he's always bringing back tons of information that needs to be followed up on. So, he's got nonstop work. Yeah, this helped him develop into a top detective. Now we're starting to close in on World War One, and America's not in it. So the New York docks are like this hotbed of activity. Okay. Their detective firm gets this contract working for British Army intelligence to keep an eye on these docks and look out for Germans, even just German patterns, anything they could find about German shipping or anything. Submarines. So while he's out finding his work... He gets approached by a German intelligence officer who was hiding in America, operating as a diplomat. And he reaches out to Gaston Means and he's like, well, look, technically America's not in a war, so it's not illegal. If you see any British ships or something out there, you could send that my way. And I got pretty good money, too. So, you know, he finds a little bit of information. And he goes back to one of his boys at the detective agency. He's like, well, yeah, I got all this stuff on the uh, the British. And he's like, well... I got this German guy, so I kind of got this German information. They're like, well, look, how about we swap? So Gaston Means would just keep going back and bringing his buddy's information to the German guy about the British and selling it for a bunch of money and then taking everything he found out about the Germans back to the other guy what and then they'd me? sell it to the British. Double crossing, son of a bitch. So yeah, they were selling both the British and German military intelligence each other's information. And getting paid off both sides for it. And later down the line, when questioned about it, he would use two different defenses. Sometimes he would claim that he was always working on the American side against the Germans all along. And then sometimes he would say it wasn't illegal because America wasn't in the war yet. You know what? And all that espionage I was committing never gave him any American shit. 
and so both sides were like ecstatic with the information they're getting and plus he just lie and force <laughs> forge stuff the germans were paying him so much money that gaston means started operating out of a luxury manhattan hotel and he just ran out the whole floor to work oh, out of god wow it was all joking in the jest, but you got to, by now at this point in the story, if any of the four of us don't like Gaston, like you're just lying <laughs> to yourselves and each other. Like, yeah, it's just one of those cool, people, like, though. I'm like, uh... his scumminess, like on an ambitious level, his scumminess took him to a penthouse now. Like, my lies, my cheating, my espionage, all my crap that's illegal and immoral and just crappy person shit. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm, I got a business card for that, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it says right here. Scum Inc. <laughs> it says I'm a scumbag. That's me. You can't call me on being a scumbag. It says it right on my card. It's the M&M. Tell these people something they don't know about me. What? Gaston Means, motherfucker. It says in my name. I'm me. It's me. What do you want? AKA why? scumbag. If I scumbag. wasn't, then why would I say that I am? <laughs> Eventually, America enters World War One, And... He's no longer allowed to work as a. You know, I'm sure he's agent. very disappointed. Now a military illegal. espionage spy. <laughs> that's now treason. That's a hanging offense. Like, yeah. uh, we're going to back away from that. But he ends up meeting kind of through a friend of a friend. It's actually someone that knew his wife pretty well. But there was this lady, Maud King, and she was the second wife of this lumber baron. So this lumber baron made all kinds of fucking money divorced his first wife or she died i think she died and he waited 10 years and then he married like a 28 year old girl that's what uh, you do it's the thing to do yeah they're married for a while and then he dies and he died with four million dollars this is four million dollars in 1910 yeah so she survived with four million (laughs) i think she kind of got by though so the four million i see i heard it compared to about 128 million yeah. So it's a lot of, of money. Yeah. So she gets left with this money. Now she's Maud King. She's a widow, an alcoholic, and she's rich. So he died with four million. He gave her one million. Okay. He actually gave her a hundred thousand, and she sued the estate, and the estate gave her a million, and they kept three million in a trust for some charities. She has no clue what to do, so she's just taking her money and she's driving around the world, like hooking up with dudes and just fucking traveling. And everywhere she goes, she starts finding people that are trying to scam her out of her money because she's just this drunk dummy. <laughs> so she starts getting all these hangers on, like always trying to rip her off. So she comes back to New York to settle down. She was originally from Chicago. She comes to New York and she's like, man, these people are on her every day trying to scam her, get her money. So he's like, well, dude, that girl, you know, that lady, her husband's a detective and he could take care of that for you. <laughs> So they set her up with Gaston Means, and he's Mr. Southern Charm, so he comes in, and he's like, yeah, I'm the best detective ever. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, man. I almost stopped World War One. How much money do you have again? Right. I have a box that you would fit all of your belongings in, and you should keep it right here in my police station room on the 15th floor of this penthouse here. No one will take it from us, dear. I'll keep it safe. So he actually does a good job. He does some of his best detective work. Oh, I bet he does. He protects all their assets. He finds all these fucking shady guys, and he's really good at it. Like, he found, he was able to sniff them out, probably because he knows. So he eliminated the competition. Two weeks ago, they were employed by Gaston. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know these guys very, very well. (laughs) I found them all. Hmm. (laughs) Strange. So she's so happy, he tells her, you know, you could probably just put me in charge of all your finances and stuff. So the widow Maud King gives Gaston Means power attorney over her finances and estate. 
That's like handed it to him on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. So she puts him in charge of everything, and he immediately just starts draining of all her money. He starts... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he didn't wait long. Well, I mean, he took his time a little bit. He fucking, uh... Well, he faked all them yeah. uh, arrests first, called all his fucking scum buddies in, like, see, girl, you see how, <laughs> what of a Superman I am? It's like the end of the movie when they start scanning through and you're like, they show that the one of his partners was the guy reading the newspaper or one of his other It was like, ah, oh, those guys are working together. He was in on a lot of scams like that. That was his MO sure. sometimes. Since he spent most of his life trying to do that as opposed to being a good person. So I'm sure he's Well, then he takes that and says, you know what? I'm sick of being a half-ass, two-bit spy gangster. I'm going to be a detective. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we so, haven't gotten to the part where I don't kind of like the guy. Right. So I sense it coming. He goes through her money and he realizes, well, they still got this three million in a trust though. One day while he's manager of money, he finds a second will mm-hmm. that actually left the three million that was in the trust to her also. Did he find that? Because it seems like, man, if I won the first million, I'm her. Like I'm fighting to see if that's a thing. She probably had the first time somebody who was thought that if they helped her get what she was supposed to get that they would get more out of it so which is probably what he's doing since he has access to all of her shit he probably saw something that they didn't know about yeah but she was drunk so she didn't know right exactly well he actually just uh really dug into what all the paper look looked like and uh forged one Oh, oh there's that too. He didn't find it. <laughs> well, that was his story. That's what he said. My He's bad. like, hey, I found this will that. Uh... So there was air quotes that we never saw. <laughs> she starts to maybe tell that maybe something's going on. And she starts getting a little seedy. And he got... he's wearing a fur coat. <laughs> <laughs> well, then she starts dating this dude that she's thinking about remarrying. You know, she tells him, I might want control back of my finances. And I think I might marry this dude. And he's like, well, we got this will, though. We got to sort this out legally with the state. And she's like, ah, I think I got it. I'm just going to get married and I'm good. But thanks for the help. He invites her to North Carolina to visit his family and uh, take a little, like, vacation okay. down on his homestead. And she agreed to go? Yeah, Go look was. over there. That's an I'm alligator get, right in that pond. I'm going to get married, but I'm going to take off with this guy. Yeah, that's a little interesting. Hey, I want my money back. Well, will you go on vacation with me? Okay. Yeah, it just seems a little... Well, because I started the process, that takes over 45 days to get you out of my control, so... It's out of my hands <laughs> To push now. you off the... It is interesting, though. I would be curious to see what he said to her to get her to go with him. Or did they just regularly go on trips together? I mean, they I might have... I don't expect us. you to know that. I mean, but... she was kind of close with his wife. You know, we don't know. He might have said... Yeah, you know what? You're right. We'll take care of that. We'll get it all wrapped up. I got the paperwork oh, process. Oh, and by the way, we're going to yeah, uh, yeah, we go, we'll ride along. Yeah, yeah. We'll go down to my family's place. It's It had a name to it wherever they go. I'm sure. Hang I'm out sure. And <laughs> but uh, they get down there, and Gaston Means takes the Widow Maud King out rabbit hunting. Oh, <laughs> firearms involved, God. yes. She accidentally got shot. Uh, well, she shouldn't have worn her white... <laughs> A white rabbit fur coat that day. <laughs> it happened to Dick Cheney as well. There's nothing to see here. Maud was known to have a fear of firearms, but she went along anyways. <laughs> Makes sense. She would want a rabbit hunt once in her life if she's deadly afraid of fucking firearms. Is she now we're drunk? Getting... I think she was always drunk. I'm I mean, afraid that was kind of, of snakes. Thing. Let's go to the rattlesnake pit. Okay. <laughs> and she never returned from the hunt. No. 
Color me shocked. But see, the true charmer, he should have took her on a hot air balloon ride or something. <laughs> like, I mean, just he... Rabbit romance hun- into it. This fucking anti-gun nut like want- wanted to, you know, go rabbit hunting. Well, you know, Gaston comes back like crushed, you know, and he's like, I oh my God, the little thing is... Well, no, he finds her and he <laughs> says, uh, I set down my gun to go get a drink from the spring. He shot her in the face. <laughs> she, tripped, she tripped and fell and blew her head off. While he was getting a drink from the spring, a deer he, did it. He seen her <laughs> reaching for the gun and he told her, don't touch the gun because it's loaded. Linda Sue, don't pick that up. Oh, no, you've committed suicide. Maybe she couldn't bear to go on anymore. But oh. yeah, so he turned back around to get a drink of the spring and she accidentally shot herself with his firearm. I hate when that happens. Because how many heads accidentally got blown off back then? I mean, come on. Oh, before forensics? Quite a few. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> before forensics, quite a few people well, just accidentally blew their heads off. Are fighting over your power of attorneyship over her money? I mean, the ideal thing to do is come to my family <laughs> estate and let's rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. None of this was even sounding like it could go. Uh, I'm not even way. angry that you changed your will or that you're trying to get married. <laughs> I'm cool with that, but we should definitely go rabbit hunting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a North Carolina tradition. It's a tradition. So she accidentally shoots herself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> His brother sheriff says, "There's nothing to see here." He's, nope. He's like, "Listen, I'm an ace detective. I'm gonna tell you exactly what happened." Okay. I got a theory going on here. By looking at the scene here, uh, it looks like she uh, shot her face off. <laughs> Case closed. The local coroner ruled death an accident. Well, of course. For how much? And uh, The local cousin. <laughs> I mean, coroner. Yeah, yeah. Word now gets back to the estate that the widow Maud King is dead, and he's in charge of the power of attorney. I found a third will, and she <laughs> apparently has left me her CPA everything. <laughs> yes. They're like, you know, this all seems fishy. <laughs> we want to take her body, so they pay, and they get the body shipped back to Chicago, where she's originally from, and they have a coroner look at it, and they said, well, none of this is matches up with an accident because, for one, there was no evidence of powder burns, which means it was at a further distance than it would require to shoot yourself. And in and- North Carolina, they're like, Distance? Forensics? <laughs> what is distance? <laughs> I told you she shot herself from five feet away. That's part of my story. Well, upon evaluation, it also turned out she was shot in the back of the head. Well, that's easy to do. Well, I've seen it happen. So the estate's like, hey, this looks like murder. Have them arrested. So they call down, and they call down to North Carolina, and they have them arrested, and they put together a trial. Now, the North Carolina prosecutor did allow their firm to bring in like new york lawyers okay so so the trial took place in north carolina yeah where the crime was committed okay the first thing so they bring in all these hotshot high-paid new york lawyers and the first thing they did was move for a change of venue and they were basically like laughed out of the courthouse you're lucky that (laughs) you're lucky we even took your coroner's report right (laughs) so they try to convince them and they run out all this evidence like expert testimonies and stuff Gaston's defense demonized the big city New York lawyers, and Gaston labeled the charges dastardly. Dastardly! These claims are outrageous, I tell you. I would, no one was more crushed than I when I found her to have this accidental shooting in the back of her skull. I was so up for days. He also said that he was there to save her good name 
and that he didn't murder her because she committed suicide and that he was being set up by his enemies and it was probably the germans for his heroic war efforts oh, i thought it was <laughs> the rabbits World war one i thought the rabbits were his enemies yeah he sounds like a really great dude after a 15-minute deliberation, a hometown jury found him not guilty. 15 minutes? What? Yeah. Which means they were never convinced to begin with. I really don't want to read court transcripts, but I want to read this one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read what they heard right. to make them say, not guilty. It was his charms. They had to have been. They heard... Some Yankee lawyer go up there and try and hit him with a bunch of mojo nonsense. Now, they say she got shot in the back of the head, right? But how do we know exactly where the back of her head was when it got shot? What I do know is Gaston is a detective and basically a war hero. Went to school right down in There UNC. you go. One of the court officers was one of his roommates from UNC. Like, so it was just real small, small home, oh, back yeah. home bullshit. His frat brother. He still can't get control of the money because they have this issue over the will. So the estate's for sure going to contest this will. The issue is you're suspected in her murder. So you can't get the money. This one they get done in New York. They're like, no, nah, we're, we're going to do this in a New York court. So this here. is like the OJ thing where like, yeah, we know you killed her and, and him and you got off on it. But we're still going to get you with a civil suit. Yeah. So basically, we know you did it. So you still owe us. When they start rolling out their evidence... It ends up not going well. One of the things they find out that all the most of the witnesses were out of town on the alleged date of the signing, and the typewriter used had not been invented yet at the supposed time oh. of the will. A minor detail you all are getting hung up on. Makes you wonder how good of a detective he really was, because was he a good North Carolina detective? Because he's clearly not a good New York detective. So this evidence just keeps rolling in, and this trial is not going as good as the other one went. At some point, Gaston reaches out to a connection he has in the U.S. military, and he tells them that he's got a trunk full of secret documents on the <laughs> oh, Germans man. that he acquired during his investigations, and he agrees to hand off this trunk full of evidence about the Germans to get let off on the will thing. So he's not going to get the power of attorney or anything, but he's not going to go to jail for the forgery. I'm willing to lose the money for the love of my country. <laughs> so he got to blow somebody's head off. For no reason. And since he has infra that's that's such a common thing though. But, you know, World War One being what World War One is, they need this trunk full of documents on the German military. After the US Army receives the trunk, they open it up and it was found out to be empty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You just know what he said though, though. The same guy that killed Linda Sue must have stolen my Nazi documents. <laughs> they, they took it. They took it. We've been bamboozled, but once again. Uh, confound it? Is that what, it, is that what he would have yes, said? I confound it. You I, can't either. I do have his declaration in response to. Oh, here we oh, go. Let's, yes. let's go. What is it? Goddamn. He declared it a despicable act and vowed to find the scoundrels responsible. <laughs> I do declare <laughs> this is one of the most preposterous acts against me, Linda Sue, my country. This wild murderer in the Springs and the Nazis must be held accountable for what they did. These my dastardly deeds will not go unmet. Thank you. Oh, God. They were there when I promised them to you. 
So he was found not guilty on the murder of Maude King, and then all charges have been dropped on the fraud charge because no double jeopardy right well because uh like he made a deal like i'll give you the i'll give you the trunk but they didn't get the but they didn't get any of the documents but, but he got the trunk he made the deal for the trunk he said i got a trunk full of stuff that i'm gonna give you is this so guy you really this fucking smart and they <laughs> like, said this, yes this seems like a little too like the new york guys are like yeah you're not gonna pull this shit on us no, and then he pulled that shit on them so what he did was he said no, you guys ain't going to steal my evidence. This has to be shipped straight to Washington. So you guys don't open this. Oh you ship it to Washington. God. So they're like, oh, that's a good call. <laughs> so, so they ship it to Washington. And by and the time the acquittal's they... the acquittal once they stamp it here. Yeah, like... there's no double jeopardy. So yeah. there's like. So, oh. so they're done. So then they open it and they're like, dude, there's nothing in there. And he was like, well, I don't know what happened. Who stole our evidence? <laughs> it was in there when I sent it. Yeah. Yeah, they for sure. Now. When I was in jail, when I was incarcerated falsely for things I did not do, that trunk was full of Nazi papers. Every time I think I'm out, y'all pull me back in, because now I got to go back into the world of detective to find these Nazi papers. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and I don't we'll smoke, be back. <laughs> like, we in general, us, oh, the audience. Oh, oh, gosh, you know what yeah. I mean? I'm going to yeah. stay online to keep you guys entertained. Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Monitor the area carrying curved swords, slither in the 
Time to run, put on your army helmets now. You're running toward the sun with all your guns, defenses down. Flashes everywhere, the lights create an atmosphere. Water in your lungs, you pray for death, but life is here. You're about to die, face it, you're about to die. Zero sand in your glass, fuck it, you can't even cry. Put a dagger to your neck, just to keep yourself in check. Put a dagger to your neck, just to keep yourself in check. Everybody grab a side as you fight to stay alive. Dancing on a hand grenade so you can die and they survive. Silver bullets in the sky, dropping seven second death. Scattering the children, run, rub until there's nothing left. Ashes in the water, sons and daughters hold their flags up high. Wallow in the harbor as the military tanks arrive. Penetrate the border with disorder like an animal. Every war has the honor of turning kings into cannibals. All right, we're back. All right, so Cancer was nice enough to share, so we all got to taste some of that. Uh, was it Chaco Taco Stout? Chaco, Chaco Tuesday. Tuesday. Chaco Tuesday. I mean, it's pretty unanimous though. But that's good shit, right? Oh, it's for sure. So good. What brewery like, did you say that was? Lone Pine. Lone Pine. Yep, Portland, Maine. Nice. Shout out to Portland, Maine, oh. and hey, your brewery Lone Pine because they're doing shit right. And look, well, I always say support local. But that's kind of what I mean is like your local business. I know that in Portland, Maine ain't local to us, but that's a local business. A I drink and enough beer that I can support local <laughs> and I can support everyone else at the same time. My local's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. My local covers a wide area. So uh, when we left off, Gaston Means had basically spent about a decade ripping off an old lady and the access and allied powers. Bamboozled. Technically now... He's good to go because he beat both raps. So he kind of goes back. With an empty crate. And he goes back to uh, basically investigative work. <laughs> he got his old detective job back. He's got to find those papers. This guy knew like Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> In 1921, Warren G. Hardin was elected president. Now, Warren Hardin's kind of known commonly as like the most corrupt president. Okay. Like Warren he's the dirty. G? Yeah, not that Warren G. From the LBC. LBC. (laughs) That does make it easier for me to remember now. Was he on a mission? (laughs) Trying to find Warren G. Warren G. Harden runs this corrupt administration, and he brings in a bunch of corrupt people, attorney generals, just everybody underneath them. And Bill Burns, the ex-Secret Service chief that was running the detective agency that loved Gaston, he gets appointed to the charge of the Bureau of Investigation. Here we go. Not long after uh, Bill Burns gets hired as the Bureau of Investigation, Gaston gets hired on as a special investigator. Makes absolute perfect sense. Because the prerequisite for that job is to blow an old lady's head off. <laughs> Look, it's right on the resume. It's you right know, there. It's, uh... it's right there. So, I see you blew an old woman's skull off. You're hired. From the front? You're, you're of my kind not. of guy. <laughs> from the, ba- no, from the from back. The back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's my kind of guy right there. Legend has it that how he got the job as a special investigator with the Bureau is that when Burns got appointed in order to get sworn in or whatever, he had to get recommendations from senators. So he hired Gaston Means, who went and spied on these senators and got that all these dirt sense. on them yeah, that and went to sense. them and were like, hey, well, look, we're going to say you were doing all this dirty shit if you don't give me recommendations. So they all gave him a bunch of recommendations. 
he gets sworn in as the chief of uh why can I never remember that name? Bureau of Investigation. So it's the, the precursor FBI. to the FBI. Precursor. Sure. Seems like Gaston probably did what he does good, the dirty shit, to help get him sworn in as chief of Bureau of Investigation. So in return, bam, get a gig. Special investigator fucking Gaston. And, shit. and you wonder why people don't trust. Yeah. <laughs> right? You, what just, you wonder why. I've never been found guilty of anything. Within a month of getting his position as a special investigator... He was reaching out to bootleggers named in Justice Department files to inquire about them wanting to purchase the information. Information about them? Or... Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, hey, I got a file on you. You want it? <laughs> yeah. Would you like to know what day they're going to raid your steel? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can help you with that. And the best part is you don't even have to give them the right date. Oh, yeah, but I'm on an honor right. system here. <laughs> I'll shoot a bitch in I'm the not an asshole. Head, <laughs> but I won't lie to a moonshiner. <laughs> That's near to my heart. That's standard. I put it all here in this trunk. <laughs> in time, eventually, he moves up from uh, just selling them information from their files, which he was just flat out just like, hey, I got this file. You want to buy this information? So eventually, he just starts extorting them and bribing them, telling them, look, I can fix your problem. If you got a problem, I know the attorney general. Give me the money. It was the attorney general Doherty was his name. He's like, give me the money. And I can get you off, which you really couldn't. Right. He, but he would tell people that all the time. And if you get off, because some people just get off anyways, maybe you weren't even really being investigated. I told you so. <laughs> you look like a hero. And if, and you, if didn't, you didn't get off, you go bye bye. So like, what, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't, when yeah. I get out in twenty years, I'm no gonna harm, get no that. Foul. Yeah. So it, he didn't fucking care either way. Yeah. Over time, he began extorting and bribing some of the biggest bootleggers in America. George Remus out of Ohio is one. He was a giant bootlegger. Well, see, that's but, why I keep getting. There's a wider scope of what he's doing. I keep forgetting that. So this is like nationally. Well, yeah, because he works for the Federal Bureau. So he's working out of Washington. So he's got a desk at the bureau office. But you know, he's working with guys, bootleggers everywhere. He started forging. Permits to sell criminals, medical withdrawal permits, so that they could legally buy hardcore grain alcohol. During Prohibition, there were, like, medical exceptions to where alcohol could be sold. Okay. Like fake prescription pads yeah. and shit like that. And it was the same thing, where sometimes it would work. They'd just go use it, and they'd let and they'd let them buy it, and they'd be like, oh, cool, it worked, thanks. And then sometimes they wouldn't. What are you going to do, go tell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sir, <laughs> he stole my cocaine. I'm, try I'm trying to bootleg, <laughs> and he's cheating. <laughs> But eventually, one of the guys Gaston has working for him, so even though he's an agent, he's got, like, a guy working underneath him, but, like, on the criminal side to handle, like, the dirty shit. At one point, this doofus he has working for him gives a gangster a receipt for a bribe. <laughs> what? Like, who, who taught him that? <laughs> you just start it's doing just so many that his business like... is usual. Like, yeah, I get you a receipt. Oh, you got expense, and I get it. My boss is a dick, too. <laughs> After a year, he got suspended from the Bureau because all this evidence starts coming out that he's really dirty, you know? <laughs> but his boss always had his back. So after a year, he gets suspended, but when he's suspended, he never let, lost access to his office at the Bureau building. So he almost had more time to focus on his criminal shit. So since he didn't have to ever really work work, he could just bring people up to his, his office in the Federal building and be like, yeah, see, I work here, so give me some money. And I'm going to walk in there to my boys and be like, yeah, they ain't going to fuck with you. And people are like, all right, cool. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Did they not notice him in the office? Dude, he's Damn, a legit right? Jedi. Right. I'm not here. <laughs> and when the suspension took more than a couple weeks, he got a job as a Treasury Customs agent oh, in the course. meantime. Of course. 
A treasury <laughs> customs agent? Yeah. All right, man. This, like, this guy is, is a Jedi. I'm just convinced. <laughs> he has balls because he can. All he knows is I do shit and it works. I get away with it. I get away with it. So there's it. zero motivation for him to change the way he does shit. Well, and while working as a custom agent, he got reinstated to his job in the bureau. Thing. But he ended up getting charged with over 100 bootlegging charges in October 1923, a month after he resigned from his position. He heard 100 bootlegging charges. Right? He's like, you know what? I don't think I want to work here. I'm going to give you my two weeks notice. Yeah. I'll I be think, in Barbados. I think they're on to me. <laughs> <laughs> they got these charges on him now. President Harding dies kind of unexpectedly, and his whole kind of corrupt shit falls apart. In 1924... Congress began to investigate the Justice Department's failure to oversee prohibition. And now the Attorney General, Doherty, was still in office. And Gaston Means says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll testify against myself and everybody because I did it, but I was a part of this big political cog. It was this machine I was caught up in, yeah. and it was Harding's machine, Doherty was running it, and it was just kind of this big thing. Hmm. So now Congress is looking at, we'd rather get this big political bust than some bootlegging guy. We want to get into this empty crate business. <laughs> <laughs> How so do we you... get into this empty crate of information You say you business. got a truck, right? <laughs> Gaston means, he tells the attorney general, like, if you drop the charges, I won't testify in front of Congress. And Doherty's like, go fuck yourself, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not doing it no more. Fuck you. Go do whatever you're going to do. So Gaston means goes in front of Congress and uh, he starts giving testimony and he tells him all this shit. So it's a big crook machine. And like, yeah, I did it. Like I did all this stuff. So he testifies on everybody, including him. I was just following orders. Mm-hmm. It's the system. It's not me. It's the system. Let's put the system on trial. They knew what I was doing. So he says he was a cog in the wheel, forced into crooked acts for President Harding and the Attorney General's corrupt machine. And he said he had files full of proof to prove it. They're in this crate, sir. <laughs> there we go. But we have to ship it to Washington. <laughs> well, now they learn. They learn their lesson, right? So oh, they they, they yeah. actually got yeah. Congress ain't we're no not, dummies. We're okay. not letting you go to Mexico. To I wouldn't go that crate. far. So Senator Wheeler tells him, "Okay, bring in the evidence and we'll take it, bring it in. We'll, we'll take a look at it." Yeah. And he says, "Okay, well, I have to bring it in tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow's document day. <laughs> he shows up the next day, and they're like, "Where's the evidence?" And he gives them a letter on Senator Wheeler's letterhead. He gives him this letter that says, no, I, I gave it to Senator Wheeler's guys, and they picked it up at my office yesterday. Billy and Kevin aren't here with you guys? Strange <laughs> dealings. So they take this letter on the senator's letterhead to figure out, like, oh, okay, this is the official document. And uh, the committee decided the letter was clearly a forgery. It's typed up. Like, they it just, just looked says, at it. Cran. Yeah, well, you, you made letterhead with the typewriter that made the shit that earlier <laughs> Everything was, spelled wrong. I mean, the senator was there. He's like, well, no, He's like, I didn't write that. my guys. They told Gaston Means that their letter was clearly a for- forgery. And Gaston Means yelled I'll at do the senator. Ne- I'll do better next time. <laughs> he so said, they stole the evidence <laughs> and the original letterhead? These guys are good. He told them, I've been tricked by my enemies and I'll run them down if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> I do declare they won't get away with, like, dude. I I'll be the this. detective and figure out what he yeah, said. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I'm a pretty good detective. You might but have they to state me as Shut a detective up. so I can get to the bottom of this. The people I paid to forge this letter, <laughs> I'll give you them. 
in exchange for. <laughs> I'll testify against them. So his testimony was dismissed and he was denied of any immunity. And then in the further investigation, they really just found more shit that Gaston had did. So his powers have worn off. <laughs> he's getting older. He's not as charming. He gets convicted of bootlegging and he gets convicted of perjury for lying to Senate. Okay. He gets two years for bootlegging and two years for perjury. Oh, <laughs> Gets off on. in a year and a half for good time served. <laughs> he fought in an appeals court for a year and a half. So he got out for appeals and then just kept pushing off the court dates. And he was pushing, like, first his, uh, his lawyer got sick, so they pushed it back. And then his lawyer showed up and was like, well, Gaston's sick. He did offer he offered them German information again, and they were like, "No, we don't want <laughs> yeah. we don't want any listen, more German information." Guy, dude. listen, listen, we're done with the German <laughs> shit, okay? Nobody wants your folders full of stuff no more. Read the paper, asshole. We don't care about that anymore. But yeah, so he just kept trying different appeals, trying all this different shit. None of it worked. And then in May of 1925, he was sent to Atlanta Federal Prison. Now to Atla- serve how long? Four years. Oh, okay. Two so. for bootlegging, two for... So the whole four. He already pushed it off for a year and a half, so now it's 1925, and he's going in. He does well in prison. He's a model prisoner. Any big stuff, he would snitch directly to the warden. He would offer testimonies and other trials in return for staying in luxury hotels during his testimony. <laughs> and he was released in good behavior in July 1928. While he's in prison, he came in contact with an author named Mary Dixon Thacker, who he convinced he was a political prisoner and a fall guy for political corruption. <laughs> he tells her the whole story about how he crooked this. He convinced her that? Yeah, he was just telling her, like, because she was like uh Is she a widow with money? No, her husband, like, worked at the prison, and she was an author. You know, she was uh, pretty, I don't know. Gullible? Anti- well, no, she was anti-corrupt <laughs> government, and he was like, yeah, the government was super corrupt. And she was like, yeah, that's a that's a good story. We could like, tell what that. Are you, what are you against? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, well, I'm... I, uh, I have a story. Yeah, yeah I got that. a story about that. <laughs> You want some? You want some German information too? <laughs> I got a trunkful. I, I got some hot gas on the germs. <laughs> so he gets out, and then he catches up with May Dixon Thacker. The two of them co-wrote a book about his life called "The Strange Death of President Harding," where his book explains that he was working for the president's wife to investigate his affairs with others' ladies, and it was ultimately her that poisoned President Harding and killed him. So, like most autobiographies, it's full of shit. Completely full of shit. Like, he just made it up. Completely full of shit. Like, his life story is the story of President Harding. So, the book is a huge hit. And then she finds out immediately that he's full of shit. After they publish it. How convenient. My sources appear to not be good. And he's listed as the author, but it was like ghost ghost wrote by her. We'll get into that. No, they would say with. Oh, yeah. If you put a war hero on there, it'll sell more copies. So everything in there is fake? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't it's know. It's his lie men- that he was living. To I don't know himself. if I mentioned it on here, but I read uh, Diego Rivera's autobiography where he lost his uh, virginity at nine and he dabbled in cannibalism. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, take yeah. it with a grain of salt. Right. Like any corpse. <laughs> yeah. You take it with a grain of salt. He was the first teenager <laughs> on the moon. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm kind of uh, disappointed that she didn't fact check until after yeah. it was published. The Irishman is like that, that Frank Sheeran or whatever. He yes. wrote his story, and then they're like, we don't want it. And he said, well, I'll say I killed this guy. And they're like, oh, we still don't want it. And he said, I'm going to say I killed Hoffa. And they're like, all right, we'll, we'll yeah. take it. Yeah, we'll take it. So they make the book. She finds out he's full of shit right off the bat, but they already co-wrote this book. She immediately reaches out to the press and repudiates the book. 
even though she repudiated it, by the time it didn't matter, it was a huge hit. Everybody fucking loved it. So it was on the bestsellers list. And then she finds out that even though they co-wrote it, he had registered it as he was the author and she was like a ghostwriter. So she didn't get any of the royalties from the book. Because it makes oh total sense that he was in charge of all that, so, even though she's the author. After a while, the book was such a big hit and he made so much money off it. After a while, he repudiated it. <laughs> this guy is... And nobody just cared because the book, like, I mean, think about it. Like, I nobody gives a fuck about a retraction. It doesn't matter. Like, the book is out there. It's a great book. Everybody loves it. I can't believe I was just about to ask you. I don't want to spoil anything, but did he murder somebody? He already murdered somebody. Like, a long time ago. Like, I'm such an idiot. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, but he, he never made, murdered anybody. so much money. <laughs> Some old lady. He repudiated it, though, like. This guy is... Uh... So he receives all the money from that. So now he does another montage. So he does one of the things where he does a bunch of shit for a minute. So over the next couple of years, <laughs> he works with a company selling glass coffins where you pay by mail, but you never get the coffin. <laughs> oh, the original Russian bride scam? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> oh, man. You heard of glass bottom boats? Uh, for the glass coffin. Oh, my God. He worked as an investigator for a Chicago attorney that sent him to pick up a $57,000 settlement in cash. Something happened on the way back, I'm sure. <laughs> well, Gaston mailed him the settlement back, and when the guy got it, it was a block of wood. And then, I don't know how that happened. So, well, <laughs> Gaston threatened to sue the postal company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? If you take away the murder, uh, this guy's my hero. This is pretty stupid crimes. One of his last big schemes was he went to New York. There's more? So he went to New York and he found this uh, organization of wealthy New Yorkers that started an anti-communist group. And uh, they were looking for an investigator to seek out communists. You know what I mean? And squash the fucking, you know, Red Scare. The big Red Scare, yeah. You know, so he lets him know that, you know, he's been in military intelligence since before World War One, And he's I kind of I actually want to turn the tides in one World War I. <laughs> Do you remember the Germans? That was me. I did that. I won that war. It was a great book about me in World War One, but the author put it in her name and, and cut me out of the shit. money. And yeah. The, Don't believe anything you read. It's all Boulder Dash, I'll tell you. So he spends over a year forging stuff to show them as evidence. Okay. And then just working side schemes in the meantime. And he collects over $200,000 in investigation fees from them. And what he kept telling them was he was hunting this big fucking treasure at the end of the rainbow of these fucking trunks full of information on communism. (laughs) And he almost got them once. Wow. And he would just keep bringing them back information like, ah, I almost got the mother low, but I got this. And they were just like, yeah. And they just kept forking them out yeah, money and forking going, them man. out money. You'll get it. At one point, there was a police warrant for a murder of a Russian spy that didn't exist. That was a story that Gaston told these guys that was running this anti-communist club. Of the course, when you look exist. into it. You... Yeah, the story didn't exist. He just made up the story and they're like, no, it's for real. Like, look, we got these papers and these chasing these communists across the world so yeah he collected 200 grand over the next year and a half uh working for this organization hunting communists <laughs> air quotes yeah at hunting one point communists. at one point he stole some gold from mexico that he brought back and showed them a piece of it and said see this thing goes all the way back to mexico 
Okay, this is how deep it goes. And they're like, oh shit. <laughs> if this you motherfucker needs me, some extra money. Yep. If, if you send me. Investigating this, though. Yep. <laughs> Give me a per diem and send me there. And they just, they got this anti communist fund, so they're like, fuck yeah, dude, we gotta. He's and out we'll, on their trail in Mexico. Yeah, we'll follow this to the ends of the uh, ends of the earth. I heard they're having secret meetings this time of year down in Jamaica. <laughs> Send yeah. me on a wooden boat cruise. Yeah. Uh, from December to like March. <laughs> that's that's he comes, that's that, that's he when comes it happens. Back all tanned up. Like, well, <laughs> you guys aren't going to believe this one, but guess what? I've always wanted to go to Japan. I mean, I've heard that <laughs> there's uh some rumblings in Japan. In March of 1932, the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so Gaston Means hears about this Lindbergh cap kidnapping, and he's like, I got to be able to get some money off this. There's I'm one sure. thing I can find. It's a missing baby. <laughs> yeah. I'll find Lindy's baby. He goes back to uh, Washington, and he finds a Washington socialite, Evelyn Walsh McClellan, or McLean, who was the owner of the Hope Diamond. Okay. Yeah. She's like the Paris Hilton or some shit of that time. She's got all this money and shit. And she's like, you know what? We need to save the Lindbergh baby. Let's find it. So Gaston Mean goes to Washington and he catches up with her and he's like, look, I'm a detective, but I've been with the underworld too. So I'm the perfect one. I can find the baby. I got an idea. I did this. Connections and shit. All I need is a sapphire colored diamond and I'm on my way. (laughs) Oh, shit. How have I never heard of this dude? No shit. Especially with this. It's Head to a talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> so he tells her, you know what? I can find the baby, but I'm going to need a hundred grand to ransom with the, the kidnappers. Like I can't just show up empty handed and try and come back with the baby. Like I need a hundred grand to do it. No problem. Bam. hundred grand cash. Oh, I meant 200. <laughs> <laughs> no, or 100 and a diamond. You're like, damn, Either that was or. easy. I didn't well, know it was going to be that easy. So he leaves, and he doesn't come back with the money, but he's like, look, it's good news. I met with him, and here's the plan. I've got a receipt for this here baby. <laughs> here's, a, here's a crate. <laughs> the baby's in the crate. But don't open it until, I... <laughs> until after I leave. <laughs> Count to ten, and then open it. Close your eyes, turn around, and the baby will be there. <laughs> so, uh... So he has code names. Like, here's the plan, and he gives everybody code names. It's your code name. This is my code name. At one point, he, he makes her go down south, and he introduces her to some guy who he calls the the king of kidnappers and explains how the whole the transition is going to go over and shit. But he's got the hundred grand, so it's good. Shit. I need another four grand real quick. Only four? So she goes, and she grabs him four grand, and she gives it to him. He comes back, and he's like, okay, you know it's legit because you met the king of kidnapping, and we all got our code names. <laughs> well, so... Yeah. All I need is 35000 for the expenses, and then I can, we'll come back with the baby. Gas money. 35000 gas money. <laughs> Gaston money. <laughs> she says, you know what? No, fuck you. Fuck this whole plan. I want all my money back. Where's the money? You don't have the baby. I yeah. thought you understood there was a no return policy. <laughs> well, so he tells her, no problem. I'll get you the money back. He goes, and uh, he never, she never hears from him again. He's like, <laughs> I'll get your money back, but first, can we go rabbit hunting? And uh, <laughs> so tomorrow. let's go rabbit hunting. Eh, you know. So she calls him back and she wants the money back. She's like, you didn't get it? I oh, gave yeah. it to your messenger. I met you at the spot uh, and I gave it to your messenger. He didn't give it to you? And she said, well, he knew the code word. So what was I supposed to think? This dude's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. 
I, All my messenger gave me was a block of wood. What are you doing here? He, he has gotten oh. me to not believe that he killed that woman. Maybe, maybe he didn't. Maybe she maybe did he trip. did it. Maybe she did trip and fall and blow the back of her head off. So this chick ain't having it. She's not a gangster, so she's not afraid to go to the cops. So she goes to the cops and she tells on them. And uh, he gets arrested and charged with grand larceny. And these motherfuckers want him bad. He goes to court. He tries to fight it. Nothing works. At the end, when they're about to sentence him, he changes his plea, and he says he kidnapped and killed a Lindbergh baby. For a small price, I'll tell you how I did it. It took <laughs> all of that for for his bullshit to get. It, I, I, mean, I can't knock him, because why wouldn't you continue to try? Because it's worked every fucking time up until now. Wait, I'm going to go to Hail Mary. I, ki- I killed it. Yeah, I, I killed the Lindbergh baby. <laughs> no, you and at that time at that time a guy had already been arrested and charged with it so they were already he didn't do it i did it yeah that's what he did he's like i did they both get off yeah i arrested him i killed him like no i killed him like you haven't heard of him yet but there's a guy that's gonna be born his name's jimmy hoffa and i killed him too (laughs) (laughs) in the future he was convicted of grand larceny and sent to 15 years in leavenworth prison that's hard time hardest hard time Sing Sing, like there's a few, yeah. like six of the old ones that mm-hmm. were just like, like before Supermax. Now there's you know Florence Supermax and yeah, shit like yeah. that. But before that, Leavenworth was like you know it's up there. First day he comes out and he goes to the guard. And he's like, uh, oh you didn't know they they let me out. Oh they did? Yeah yeah they they let me out. And oh okay have a good one bro. <laughs> after two, after two months like... in prison, he decided to make himself the warden. He died of natural causes in prison December twelfth nineteen thirty eight. Oh wow, only three years later. Yeah. His gallbladder burst, and they saved him in surgery, and then he died of a heart attack. Like, 59. And he went out with he was natural clause. Natural clo- oh, 59? Yeah. Um, That's something you don't hear nowadays. God, natural causes a, at 59. Like, but, He was a but, lifelong prick. Yeah. Dude, 59? He was still a prick at 56. He never quit. Because he, he was a prick quit, as a little boy. Yeah, he's, it started very young. That's ridiculous that he actually ended up dying of natural causes. After uh, dying in prison, his body was returned home and he was buried in his family plots. North Carolina. And he came back to life three days later. And And the Means family keeps ticking. (laughs) Billy Means is just out there kicking up dust and fucking lying about shit. I wonder if he's buried in a glass coffin. Well, no, it never showed up. He was was due to be, but... So a lot of the guys we covered, we're always debating between if they're a psychopath or a sociopath. Okay. Is the, is the conversation we're always having, right? Yep. This is the first one we have like a new mental problem introduced into the podcast. He's got megalomania. Oh, okay. Well, we don't know. These people have, you know, kind of guessed. He didn't go get treatment. I mean, he's guessed. Right. Shit, but... Based on what they know. Yeah. Well, that's what people with megalomania have delusional fantasies that they are more relevant or important than they truly are. The only problem with that is that everybody he surrounded himself with kind of proved that he was. Are you a megalomaniac if it's true? Right. right. <laughs> or are you just, you know are you just badass? I'm just out here kicking ass, bro. So that's that's the story of Gaston Means. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Uh, so, did they ever make a movie about this dude? No, but they did do a show. He was portrayed on Boardwalk Empire. 
Oh, he was. So he was a character on Boardwalk Empire played by Steven Root. Oh, no shit. Oh, my God. With my red tape. That was who that was supposed to be? Yeah. Get out of here. So you guys haven't seen a picture of Gaston Means. So if we were going to cast a movie. right there. Steven Steven Root. (laughs) I would go with Steve Root. But so if we were going to cast a movie about Gaston Means, who would you cast to play him? We at least have Steven Root as a jump off point and all that. But you said he was first. But you said he was tall, right? Six foot, two hundred pounds. Six foot, two hundred pounds. So that's more. I would say that's more big than tall. Because he's not quite tall yet. But he's well, at like, that time, tall to me. you know, like <laughs> there was a lot of short. You know, I say right for that time. I'd say six foot is pretty tall. I would say Blink Shelton. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do declare that's this weird because I was going to say Miranda Lambert in God's um, country. <laughs> I'm going to say John Krasinski for no other reason than I can't think of anybody else. I think he could do a good one of these Southern voices as well because yeah, he's probably quite good. I love like him a foghorn leghorn. Like uh, <laughs> a foghorn leghorn. I do declare. So here's some pictures of. Oh, Gaston wait, means. I guess I oh. won't yeah, even guess here. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to say Easy guy. Sir Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis? Oh, I mean, huh? tall, dark, and southern, if you will. Oh, and he will fucking live that life, man. Oh. He will fucking be, he will be guest on me. I think, I think before he became an actor, I think Daniel Day-Lewis sold a couple glass coffins. I'm, I'm quite I'm sure. I'm sure he did. He would, quit, he would quit cobbling and acting and just con full time because he would have found the love of the hustle. So, so here's a, a picture of Gaston Means. I got a couple, not a lot. Whoa. Oh, so he looks like get out of here. Him. Uh he looks like Alistair Crowley a little bit. Or um Shemp from the <laughs> Stooges fame. Shemp, yeah, that's not that bad <laughs> actually. Cross between Shemp and Curly yeah, Joe. Wait, 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 wait. He does have a little Bob Hope going on in there. There's a Bob little, Hope uh, with the other one. Mickey uh not Rourke. Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney. Yeah. He's got a little uh I see somebody in the picture on the like line, a president, like a uh... yeah, he does. So I got I got a guess. I think it's more like it in this next picture. So I'm gonna show you this picture next. So here's another picture, oh. guess. Oh, I the mean. guy who played uh, the guy who was in Zodiac. I think right there you could see a better example of how big he is. Like those pictures of him by himself, you don't get it. But look at it looks like he's shaking the fuck out of that guy's hand. Yeah, and he got dimples for days. It's one of those guys that when he goes <laughs> to shake his hand, he grabs your forearm. One of those at... stupid power moves. Well, John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch. Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, so here's the guy that I thought, and I, that yours is a good one. But I thought this guy when I seen this picture. So you guys know uh, Keckner? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, David Keckner. Yeah, David Keckner. Well, that looks like that guy could play that guy. So you, you, yeah, cancer's picks. That's are funny. Yeah. So he's a little goofy or whatever, but you could still see him being yeah, like charming. Hey, how you doing? You know, where you like, you know what? Yeah, he can yeah, do both. I'm with you, dramatic and fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good choice, too. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. Standard DEFCON scale is 5 to 1, 5 being the lowest, 1 being the highest. But on the Bad Guy podcast, there's no good guys. So 5 would be Lee Murray, who is your kidnapping, coke-dealing, bank robber. And 1 is the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they kill people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Gaston Means? 5. I'm at a 4 only because of the murder. Maybe she, she deserved it. Maybe she tripped and fell. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a rabbit did kill her. I I give him a three, middle of the pack, because the one body. Three you know. for one body? He was a great guy. Look at him. Look, he's <laughs> look at, look at, look at, look at <laughs> David Koechner. <laughs> <laughs> he's 
a great guy. Or that's not fair. Did you know that he played Laney's dad in the in the Goldbergs? <laughs> he wouldn't kill somebody in 1912. No, I got to get rid of. We can't have a real conversation with Dave Keckney looking at us anymore. Oh, smiling warmly. <laughs> um, like, see, I think a four because he's only got one body. But that's a pretty mean body. An old lady that you shot in the back of the head. That's... He didn't do it. I just thought of something. Do you think he killed his kid? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, cause, I like, hope not. The four-year-old? Oh. What the if reason? he was like annoying little fuck? <laughs> oh, think, not even like back he, then. Everybody not because was an he's annoying a bad guy. Bug. What if that kid sucks? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know, Jen. <laughs> um, how do you know that kid wasn't an asshole? Sister, bro. Sister always <laughs> bugs me. Sister was always running around here, running that fucking mouth, See, man. Like the drunk girl running your mouth, and they just killed him. I don't know. I mean, was it could... he crying a lot. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. God. I think oh, that's he, all I gonna go. Edit that out. Yeah, I, can't, I don't think. Edit out the baby shit. I don't know how much. I don't know how much baby murdering we can do. <laughs> I think he killed the baby. I mean, I'm not here to justify shaking a baby, but I mean, sometimes it's hard to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all possible. Oh, God. I'm gonna say your typical con man. Con man work would get you a five, but he was just not good enough at it that he had to kill a lady. So I think that moves him up to a four. So we're gonna call him a DEFCON four. They're moving in. I say we go to DEFCON four. All right. This is say hello to the bad guy. Thanks for coming and thanks for listening. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I made my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam. And, and I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams. Ay, ay. So I don't money grabbed a hundred hams. So I don't money grabbed a bunch of bands. And I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay, and I still keep it on me, run into your big homie, first you meet your dead homie, ay, yeah. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by, pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. Fast lane, let my money at a fast pace, look like a drag race. Control re up in my ashtray, I'm in my bag. Hey, good girl, bad face, no waste, and her ass fake. Hey, and she in love with the bad guy. But bad bitches never act right. Hey, she act up into that bag fly. Did a turn around in one night. Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy coming last place. Last place. Last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. Last place. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy coming last place. 
Smell the dope when I pass by. 